hot. The music got a little bit hot there. Welcome <laughs> to everyone who are followers of The Empire Files, of Media Roots Radio, and elsewhere. Thank you so much, you guys, for tuning in to the very first episode of Dosed. Um, I think there are probably many new people here um, who are not familiar with us as well. So I wanted to say a little bit for those people to introduce who we are and why we are here, why we are doing this show on Colin. But first, before we get to that, welcome, an official huge welcome to the first episode of Dosed. I'm your host, Abby Martin. This is a brand new live show that I will be doing every week exclusively on Colin. Now, you just heard uh, music from my brother, Fluorescent Gray, who I co-host Media Roots Radio with. Um, we'll be exploring some different tracks uh, on the upcoming episodes. So, Mike Preisner, who is my co-host and producer for Empire Files, uh, tell us a little bit about you. I guess I'm a producer for Dost now as well. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, Abby, you and I have been working together since 2015 when we started the Empire Files, which I guess you could talk a little bit about. Um, I guess otherwise, I've uh, been an anti-war organizer, socialist organizer since about 2006. So most of my uh, work, I guess, is in the political world. But um, got into media, I guess, a little after that, I guess, doing media for political organizing, in particular, organizing with veterans and active duty soldiers. So producing like newspapers and leaflets and stuff and a website to be read by anti-war soldiers um but yeah in 2015 started this project with you and pumped for the next step here with dost yeah absolutely and you probably have seen mike preisner from a couple viral moments on on the internet uh most recently the dude who yelled at george w bush and and completely destroyed him in the middle of this uh press junket you know george w bush is rehabilitating himself of course going all around uh, doing these ridiculously expensive speeches. And yeah, Mike interrupted one, really set the stage for, you know, what we should be doing to these war criminals who are trying to get their images rehabilitated in the post-Trump era. So that was an incredible moment, Mike. And of course, there are several other viral videos of you, you know, one from Winter Soldier testimony about the Iraq war and another one of you rallying pretty hard in front of the White House in, in the snow. One of my favorites. Um, so, you know, I'm an advocacy journalist. I wear my bias on my sleeve. I don't hide who I am or what I stand for in my reporting. Um, and I've always been this way because I started off as an anti-war activist. And I'm going to tell that story a little bit later. But uh, just to set the stage here, I'm the creator and host of The Empire Files uh, who Mike with Mike Preisner, who produces the show. It's an investigative web series that looks at the world through the lens of U.S. empire. I also am the creator and co-host of Media Roots Radio, which is an anti-imperialist media criticism podcast, excuse me. I directed the film Gaza Fights for Freedom about Gaza's Great March of Return, which you can watch in the link in my bio. And I'm also working on, on another film now with Mike, as well as our team at The Empire Files called Earth's Greatest Enemy. It's a film about U.S. military pollution and its impact on the climate and the environment. So, Mike, um, I wanted to just like talk about how, you know, how interesting it is that both of our shows, well, my show, Breaking the Set and, and you know, The Empire Files, 
we're basically shut down by the government, you know? So here we are doing this, this experimental podcast. We're going to see how it goes. And hopefully this one's not shut down by the government as well. <laughs> yeah, Abby, I, I, uh, I imagine we have a lot of new, it's, it's great to see so many familiar faces in the chat right now. Welcome to everyone. But I'm sure there's a lot of new people on Colin and so forth finding uh, the show who don't know of your work. So maybe you should give a little background on where you got started in media and why you had so many shutdowns by the government of your content. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, obviously, Russia is in the news right now because of its horrific invasion of Ukraine. And this is kind of, you know, being broadcast wall to wall coverage everywhere. Uh, but before Russia was really front and center in the news, you know, I joined RT, Russia Today, RT America, back in 2012. Uh, I was hosting a daily live show on Russia Today, RT America called Breaking the Set. I did it for three years. I produced almost 600 episodes. I reported everywhere from Haiti to Pine Ridge to Guantanamo Bay. Uh, I was able to interview hundreds of interesting people, not just you know activists and journalists, but act, um, but artists, musicians. I mean, politicians like Howard Dean being able to confront him about MEK funding, being able to you know talk to someone like Larry King about what he felt like was, you know, <laughs> what? <laughs> it's a funny interview. You can check that out. Uh, he kind of rips his mic off mid-interview because we kind of get in a little bit of an argument there. But really amazing kind of body of work there, breaking the set, Mike. I mean, I remember that's that's when I uh, got hot to you. I saw you doing, doing some interviews and I was like, who the hell is this awesome guy? Uh, loved you from the start. Really love at first sight there. And then I slid into your DMs and I guess the rest <laughs> is history. But, you know, at that show, it's really incredible because now all we hear about is like RT is this, you know, top down Putin propaganda network. It's this Kremlin fed, sinister, insidious, pervasive propaganda uh, web that essentially destroyed our democracy, Mike. You know, funny because when I was there, it really was just kind of like any other newsroom. It was a lot of eager journalists just really anxious to get the story out and excited to be able to do investigations that were not allowed. A lot of these viewpoints are forbidden, of course, on Western media outlets and, of course, on corporate media outlets. And in a country that's captured by corporations, I think one could argue that the corporate media apparatus is de facto state media. And that whenever there's a crisis like the one in Ukraine, you see our media agencies essentially become an arm of the Pentagon. And so, you know, being at RT, I carved out the editorial freedom to criticize Russia and Putin's policies in Ukraine. At that time, it was the incursion into Crimea many times on my show, which I yeah, think is more than you can say for like people like Phil Donahue, Jesse Ventura, who ironically came to RT later after he was kicked off mainstream media. A lot of these reporters have talked about how they were not allowed to criticize the Iraq war. And that's why you saw people like Chris Hedges uh, actually come to RT as well. Right. And your show, Breaking the Set, actually became really well known in the United States anyway, precisely because you criticized Russia and Putin on air. And then the entire like mainstream media establishment really was like, ooh, this is a, a good story for us. And so they, they put you on Piers Morgan, CNN, MSNBC, Rolling Stone did a big profile of you, all of this stuff. And so it was uh, a moment where they expected you to go on and just uh, you know, play their game and kind of echo the foreign policy line they wanted you to, but then you kind of turned it around on them. 
if you want to recount a little bit of that for people. Yeah, it's a really fascinating story. And I think it really is revealing of how all of this works. It's like, you know, here we are at RT talking about the crimes and machinations of like U.S. empire. And, you know, this was, God, I mean, how long into the war on terror? It was just like, how many countries were we bombing? You know, it was kind of like an interesting moment in time. The Obama administration comes into power, kind of lulls the country back to sleep. It wasn't, there wasn't a lot of criticism of Obama and what he was doing. And this is the time of, on the heels of Occupy Wall Street. You know, Occupy Wall Street kind of popped off. RT was one of the only networks really covering it in a fair way, giving it validity. It wasn't just mocking it outright like all these other networks were. So long story short, I mean, here I was at Breaking the Set talking about all these things. I had a daily opinion show um, really letting it out there. You know, this was also, I, I was present at RT when the horrific Gaza war in 2014, you know, talking about the war crimes that were going on. It was a really dramatic moment. So the Crimea incursion happened. I felt like I was uncomfortable at the first time being at the network. I felt it was eerily reminiscent kind of of the lead up of the Iraq war seen news reports showing Iraq soldiers or U.S. soldiers rather in Iraq being greeted with flowers and candy. And I just felt like I needed to make a distinction that, you know, I did not agree with the coverage of the network and I didn't agree with RT's editorial line, that everything was great and that, you know, that this was all okay. And, um, you know, it, it was a, definitely a fog of war moment at that time, but I just felt like as my own person, someone who was known for, you know, being very staunchly anti-imperialist and anti-militarist. I mean, I, I wanted to make a statement and I wasn't trying to hijack air or throw my network under the bus. I simply wanted to distinguish myself as an independent voice. And so I, I, I spoke to my boss at the time and he was like, great, you know, do what you do, what you feel like you need to do. Um, and I support you because I, I was willing to put my job on the line. And I actually said, you know, I'm, I'm going to walk out the door right now unless you let me do this. Long story short, uh, it became an international news story overnight once I said what I said on the show. I had no idea it was going to turn into that, Mike. Um, it was pretty overwhelming as someone who has come from a long, you know, years-long like media critique field. Um, that was what my passion was, guiding me into breaking this set in general. I mean, I knew that the media, I know how the media functions. I have been criticizing the Western media and the corporate media for as long as I've been in this field and as long as I've been involved in anti-war organizing and activism. And so I just, I was like, this is, this is very uncomfortable. All of a sudden I am the center of this international media story and they're painting me as this anti-Russian hero. Like literally I was painted as a hero just for simply speaking out about the situation and against Putin on a Russian funded network. I mean, that was and cool. I, I mean, no, it, it, it was pretty awesome to like show that, hey, I'm what, what it showed me overall was like, I can put my job on the line because I care about something and that I have moral consistency and ethics that guide my principles of journalism. And what it real what I realized at the end of the day, like when all the dust settled, was like everyone else could do the same thing if they cared, if these lifeless journalists you know reporting on these on on god knows what the drivel that they report on day in and day out or what they're fed by their editors or like the self-censorship that occurs day in and day out at all of these networks it's like you could do the same thing if you cared right 
And, and what I took away from it was like a lot of people just don't. A lot of people get into this industry to climb the corporate ladder. They get in, they understand that they only have very, very small frame of acceptable ideas that they need to conform to in order to get, you know, one out of a hundred stories out or pursue some sort of investigation that would get approval by their upper management. And like a lot of that goes against you know, what we all think of this field. We revere the First Amendment in this country. This is like heralded as like the most sacred thing. So, you know, back to like what happened though, like this was, it was just so crazy, Mike, because, you know, given platforms from literally any corporate news agency in the world, like Rolling Stone, NPR, Piers Morgan, it was like, you have an open invitation to talk shit about Russia and to laud yourself about like how brave it was for you to do this. And I quickly realized like I'm being turned into a Western tool you know, because I, of course, I disagreed with what the U.S. was doing. The U.S. was fomenting war, fear mongering. It was pretty hysterical, right, on the Western side. And so I just quickly turned it around and I was like, look, I completely um, acknowledge like, yeah, yes, this is very wrong what Russia is doing. But like you guys are complicit in this as well. And all of the framing, of course, was just like, why are you working for this overt propaganda network? And I was just like, well, every network has questionable funding. Who funds NPR? And biases, Who funds obvious biases. And biases, obvious biases. And the biases are insidious. And that's the problem with corporate media and Western, the Western media in general is you have to navigate these biases in a way that is very unclear. You don't know what corporations are subsidizing the adver- you know, advertising dollars and the revenue stream that goes into the conglomerate of corporate media stations. You just don't. You know, you kind of can guess through some ads in between commercial breaks, but like, this is the this is the thing. It's like RT is obvious. It's Russia today. You might not get the truth about Russia from watching Russia today. But guess what? You'll damn damn sure get the truth about America. <laughs> so like we don't have to be in denial about why we were there. Um, Just like you won't get the truth about America from CNN or MSNBC. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean you won't get the truth about anything from those networks. That's the problem. <laughs> it's not like they're good on one thing. You know, they they can maybe you know, mistakenly like bring about a good story, but it's like at the end of the day, it's all about kind of fear porn and ratings. And, you know, RT existed in a fascinating, it was at a fascinating time. It, it really was um, a moment in time where there was a cynical void to exploit and a gaping hole in the media industry that did not cover grievances that, that exist and that are getting worse in this country. So it's a crazy story, Mike. And, you know, I turned it around. And of course, they dropped me really quickly because I wasn't useful to their narrative. And then they had to demonize me and marginalize me, you know, and then they had to call me a lunatic, a conspiracy theorist. And I was fringe. And they even alleged that I was a false flag in order to paint legitimacy at the network. Very fascinating story that I can go. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> some drops in there. Some Doug Yeah, I guess. One of the fun things about Colin is we can do these little audio drops, but right now that this is the only one that I have. So as the show goes on, I promise to have more than just this one. Oh shit! Oh shit! <laughs> so I guess that's you telling me to move it along. That that'll be your move. It no, along no, that was. And I'm just joking. Oh, shit, okay. <laughs> um, but you know, bringing it to the to the censorship, Mike, because this is an, a, a, kind of an integral uh, facet of the story. Is like after I left RT. Well, actually, really quick, before yeah. you left, yeah. the, the intelligence agencies of the United States actually was very concerned about your show. Yeah, well, this was what's fascinating, Mike, is that this actually came out two years after Breaking the Set ended, 
was, you know, everyone can remember how all of a sudden Russian propaganda became kind of this front and center narrative to to basically rationalize why Donald Trump won instead of, I don't know, a widely hated war criminal who just anointed herself as like the queen of the country. Like maybe people weren't into that. And like Donald Trump was the bull in the China shop. And um, there's a lot of factors that played into a reality star billionaire clown, you know, landlord becoming our president. Um, and it, I think it had little to nothing to do with anything um, in terms of alternative media. And so it's just amazing that this was basically the end all be all like, like statement from the intelligence community was like, here's this report in 2017. I think the report came out. They're like, here's this report. It was, it was devised by 17 intelligence agencies. And it's like, oh shit, like this is going to be nuts. You know, like 17 until I didn't even know that we had that many intelligence agencies. Like, damn, that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> like, why do we have 17? So all these agencies came together. You thought it would be like a super well-researched report, like totally damning indictment of like Russian propaganda. Like how did it get us to this place? And what it was, was a cursory thrown to like some haphazard attempt by some like intern at some neocon think tank on the Hill that threw together a real shitty report that basically outlined what I said before, like issues that are unpalatable to like the liberal ruling class and the neoconservative ruling class. And it was basically just like the fact that Abby's show, it called out breaking the set by name. And it said like, this is when shit really ramped up. Like this is when Russia like really up their propaganda. It was like with this show breaking the set and why? Because it talked about socialism because it talked about third party candidates, because it talked about fracking and because it talked about things like occupied wall street. And to me, that really says it all because it wasn't about propaganda. It's about the fact that there are forbidden viewpoints that they did not want shown and that these issues are not supposed to be talked about, right? They don't want people to know that 60% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. So this started like the censorship campaign, like algorithmic backpaging of alternative media and all alternative media got basically lumped in to the notion of Russian propaganda. Right. And people people will know that very well today. Like if you say something about NATO or the U.S. involvement in, in Ukraine, you're towing the Kremlin line. Right. You're dangerously promoting Russian propaganda. And that's really a scary place that we're in, that alternative media and independent media that was generated in the wake of like this beautiful invention, the internet that was supposed to be this egalitarian thing for everyone to be a part of it, that anyone can compete with these big news agencies. And, and in fact, they did. And we did, you know, generate these huge audiences that, that were thirsty for something that was real and reporting that was actually, you know, reflective of this country. And so of course the censorship campaign continued to ramp up with Russiagate during the Trump era these Silicon Valley tech giants basically became an arm of the government. You know, Google turned into don't be evil to a fucking evil Machiavellian like tech overlord who now curates our reality. So like in the wake of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, the U.S. government and its arm of Silicon Valley tech giants basically just purged all Russian media, RT affiliates from it, from its airwaves. And this was after, of course, the sinister like labeling of state media outlets only on our adversaries, China, Iran, Venezuela, Russia, not, of course, nothing with the EU or NATO or the US. No, those outlets are completely fine, trustworthy. Don't ever worry about who funds those. Right. It's all the including like uh, CIA outlets like Radio Free, every, every insert country name. 
Yeah, yeah. Radio Free Everything, USAID grant funded, you know, like just so many, like, it's just crazy when you actually look at the media landscape and how it actually functions. And it's, it's just amazing that people have been cheering on the censorship. So, um, so yeah, I mean, basically all RT affiliates have been banned. RT is completely purged. And all that this does, guys, is just further constrict the already severely limited parameters of acceptable debate in this country. And what it does is make foreign policy narratives against U.S. adversaries even more uniform. And it already was pretty uniform. And so this blanket erasure included every single episode of Breaking the Set off YouTube. It was memory hold forever. This huge swath of anti-imperialist content. It's including ironically book burning. They also ironically deleted the episode where you denounced Russia (laughs) in the interests of uh, fighting Russian propaganda. Exactly. And it wasn't just that token statement, Mike, as you know. I mean, it was months of just kind of nuanced debate about Ukraine um, and global Mm -hmm. affairs, you know, including talking about Russia pretty openly. So, yeah, I mean, I really think it's the modern equivalent of book burning. And it's a huge shame that this is the answer. Right. And and you know, we hear constantly like, oh, Russia's doing this. They're, you know, strangling independent media and they're shutting down all these voices. It's like, okay, so yeah, we just did that too. So where does that leave us? You know, and so ironically, Mike, the show that we started together after I left RT America in 2015 was also canceled because of the U.S. government. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, I mean, I guess I can uh, just really quickly explain that, you know, we started the show The Empire Files in September 2015. And at that time, we were doing it as a weekly 30 minute documentary series um, that we were uh, having aired on a network called Telesur, which was, it still exists. It's a really cool um, international uh, satellite television outlet that was started by the left wing movements in Latin America, Venezuela, Cuba, and other left-wing governments all got together and say, you know, we need like a people's media stuff that shows the voices of poor people, of activists, um, of those in the, the the left-wing in these countries that were leading such historic movements, like in the legacy of Hugo Chavez and stuff like that. And so we were on this network. It was very cool, a project to be a part of, and just really a genuinely good, cool media outlet. And then when Trump gets elected, Trump, of course, just put devastating sanctions on so many countries that the United States hates for no other reason than they are independent of the United States and are trying to chart their own path. And so, of course, all of the countries that were part of funding Telesur were all heavily sanctioned. And so because of Trump sanctions, there was no possible way for this network to to pay us anymore um, because there was just no way to transfer money from any of these countries that were under U.S. sanctions to a U.S. bank account. So then we went, so that was after about two years, you know, we went independent in 2017 and so have been independent with Empire Files ever since then, which has been great. Um, You know, we did that feature film and it's all just donor funded, uh, viewer supported, which has been a really cool experience. You know, that's how we're working on this new film, Earth's Greatest Enemy. It's just all from our supporters who want to see this work happen. Um, but I guess that's also, you know, I guess, do you want to say a little more about Empire Files Abbey and kind of your experience doing that and what you've liked about it and how Dosed is not going to be the same, which we're excited to talk about too. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Empire Files is an incredible show. It's more investigative. It's, it's a long form project, like Mike said, that produced these kind of mini documentaries about the um, crimes of U.S. Empire and its junior partners and analyze 
analyzes the world through like the lens of like colonizers and colonized and Telesaur was created as kind of an alternative to this corporate media hegemony. It was a joint project created by Hugo Chavez and Fidel Castro to try to combat this incessant propaganda that was being used to facilitate the over uh, overthrowing of their countries, as well as every other socialist country in that that whole block. Um, and it wasn't just uh, it wasn't just Cuba and Venezuela. It was Ecuador. Um, it was several other Latin American countries, I think like five or six, Mike. And yeah, I mean, it's just crazy that our ability to, to sell that show was completely severed. And people don't really realize like what sanctions do, like sanctions asphyxiate an economy and really restrict every aspect of, of that economy. And it, and it's not, it doesn't just hurt the pocketbooks of the elites. Like the elites are fine in every country. (laughs) It's designed to target the most vulnerable populations. And in our case, like, I mean, Venezuela, how many tens of thousands of people have died from sanctions? But like, it also hit the media sector where like no one could get paid outside the country who was doing independent journalism or independent contracting. And so it it was really unfortunate. Um, And it's incredible that we were able to go to places like Colombia. I mean, on the front lines of of the drug war in Colombia, my going to you know, really dangerous places like the coca fields, um, places in Venezuela. I mean, in the middle of these guarimbas in Venezuela, these really deadly street actions and blockades showing the truth about that. Um, horrific, you know, really horrific things that we were in the middle of, you know, documenting with our own eyes in Palestine, very harrowing stuff, really incredible reporting that we did in these countries through empire files, and as you mentioned, I mean, voices that are really important to tell those stories. And Mike, in Palestine, you know, we we actually were banned. Um, you know, this <laughs> is why we worked with this incredible team of Palestinian journalists in Gaza to document the Great March of Return, because we were banned from Israel, we were banned from Gaza. We were told that we were propagandists and Iranian spies. Yes, the Israeli press office would not allow us into Gaza because journalists are allowed in Gaza, obviously, but you have to go through the Israeli press office. And uh, the official response from the Israeli press office is that we were Iranian spies, which, um, you know, we are not. uh, But nevertheless, that was our designation. And so we made that film kind of through the blockade just with a team there. And then now this other film we're working on, just to briefly mention Earth's Greatest Enemy, we've done quite a bit of filming for it. We went to Alaska, been to Hawaii. We have been uh, a couple other places filming. It's going to be a really powerful and important story. Um, Some of that, some people may have already seen, you know, Abby, you were trying to gas me up talking all about my viral videos, but um, Abby was widely seen confronting Nancy Pelosi at the COP26 climate summit about U.S. military pollution. That's something we were filming for the documentary, but because it was so timely, we wanted to make sure that we got that out there. Um, Of course, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez took a question from you afterwards where she basically corroborated everything you were saying and agreed with you. And that kind of led to a big shift in the conversation and debate and reportedly even within Congress, they had to have a big meeting about your confrontation and the, the point that you brought up about U.S. military carbon emissions being completely invisible, exempt, uncounted from U.S. climate uh, carbon reduction pledges. So that was a very cool thing. And, and we're uh, that's obviously an ongoing project. But with 
all of that stuff going on with doing an Empire Files, Abby, you hosting Media Roots several episodes a month, uh, working on this big film, which we are you know really knee deep in working on this film now, and all these little other little side projects we have going on. Like Abby, you just did massive media rounds the past month, appearing on tons of different shows, doing interviews about the Russia situation and all that. We have taken on a whole other show and a whole other project, Ghost, <laughs> which we're I think very excited to talk about. So you want to uh, give an introduction to that, Abby? Yeah, absolutely. So what the hell is this show? What is Dose and how is it going to be different from these other projects that we've been outlining? Well, as I hear kind of regularly from, from uh, let's just say my friends, like my personal friends, like Empire Files is pretty fucking heavy, right? Oh, shit! I know, oh, it, can, shit! Oh, I know it can be difficult to dive into. Sometimes, I mean, for me, the information that we compile on the show, Mike, is extremely enlightening. It motivates me to act and it really like drives my passion. But I totally understand that we live in really bleak times. Right. And it's kind of something that you have to be in the mood for. Right. And sometimes that mood can be infrequent or you just simply don't have time to sit down and digest the darkness, let's say, every week. Um, I do have many personal interests that do not fit into the mission of other media projects. And, you know, one of the things I miss the most about my old show, Breaking the Set, was speaking to scientists, philosophers, artists, musicians that broke up the seriousness of the heavy politics with topics that also help inform our worldview in a positive way. So don't get me wrong. The show is still going to be political and it will still frequently cover politics. And I think that you can make the argument, which I do to everyone, that politics is everything and everything is political and everything's politicized. But I think, Mike, um, you know, what we're going to do is not just going to be another carbon cutout of like a million things you've already heard and seen and that are happening right now. You know, even on this space, like I don't want to just rehash the same conversation that everyone is having over and over again, even though that is an important conversation to be had. Like, I want to give um, a new perspective to the table. And yes, U.S. foreign policy is my biggest interest, but I'm much more of a multidimensional person, and none of that ever gets to come out in any of my political work. Like, the very dark, deep political work, even, like, my curated social media feeds, like, people are just like, damn, you're fucking depressing. Like, you know, looking at this, it's like, damn, do you ever, like touch grass dude like go outside and like take a hike it's like yeah dude i love national parks i love hiking um you know it's like i i love movies like i love i love a lot of things and i think looking at my presence in this kind of curated niche world makes it seem like i exist in this dark hole of these stories day in and day out and people who are closest to me and maybe a lot of my audience too already knows that i do like this psychedelic artwork this really dense collage work, um, a lot of abstract paintings, psychedelic in nature. And I'm also super interested in nature, philosophy, you know, so much more. And I think this show is a really good opportunity to reflect all of that, Mike. That's right. Um, and, you know, I think that obviously we're going to, as you said, still talk about politics from time to time. But there's, you know, of course, you're not someone who just sits in a dark cave reading really sad foreign policy news. Uh, but there's, of course, many other 
uh, interests that both of us have, and also so many connections you've made over the years. I mean, just, you know, we're not going to name any names now, but we have some really, really, really exciting guests lined up for Dose. People who are, many people may know, kind of well-known people who do very cool work or have cool stories, but they just would never have made sense to interview on something like Empire Files. Um, but Dost is giving us an opportunity to uh, kind of break outside that box and have some other different conversations that I think will be really enlightening for people and just exciting. Like so many uh, big names that you've become friends with over the years that never really fit into other things that you were doing. Now we have uh, an opportunity to, to do some of that. Stop gassing me up, dude. Gassing me up too hard. <laughs> I don't know anyone big. <laughs> I don't want to. The expectations are fucking sky high now, man. You got to low. Let's lower the expectations. If there's someone big, then you might be, you know, we might get someone big or two on here, but I'm not going to be like <laughs> Will Smith level, you know, like we're not going to get well, dosed with Will Smith. Oh, oh, I thought. Who, 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 <laughs> who apparently has taken ayahuasca 14 times. 14 times well, you would think that after that many times you i mean maybe he just like has merged with like a completely other dimension at that point he really thought he was a god i think when really really rich people take ayahuasca it probably just like reinforces their like greatness and their ego you know so i don't know mm -hmm. if it has a positive effect on them um but i guess it should be important to talk about what is what do we mean by the title right. of the show? What does dosed mean? What does it mean to be dosed other than taking ayahuasca 14 times? <laughs> right. So what does it mean to be dosed? Like, of course, it's inspired by psychedelics because taking psych psychedelics is the most obvious way that you completely change the way you see the world. I mean, I think everyone can speak to the truth of this, that once you take a psychedelic journey, you will never look at nature the same way again, and you perhaps will never look at reality the same way again, depending on how much you've dosed yourself. There is no going back. But even though it's a nod to that obvious reference, it's really just a term that I feel like encapsulates so much, Mike. It's about having an epiphany, right? An epiphany moment. It's about learning something that changes the way you may see the world. Or it's just about like getting a a shot or an injection of truth, like a dose of reality. It makes your views more complex, diverse, and maybe makes you just a more well-rounded person. Yes. And uh, as you know, we are on call-in, which means we are going to be able to take some calls in a little bit. And so what we would like to ask our listeners is, I can give some examples, but if you have any dosed moments, things that you remember learning that change the way you see the world or things that just tripped you out. We'd love to hear that. And that's what these different episodes are going to be. Different topics that interview experts, explore different topics that will really change the way you see nature, science, life, uh, all, politics, everything. So, you know, I guess probably... Um, yeah, my... what's an example for you? Like, because like you were saying to me before, Mike, it doesn't even have to be like something that's completely life altering, but just something that's tripped you out. Sure. I mean, I guess we could talk about our like dosed moments in like politics or like things that kind of changed our life and changed the way mm -hmm. we see everything in a way that was really profound that put us on a completely different life path. And those dosed moments are very important. But I mean, all the time I learned stuff that I feel like doses me like, um, uh, okay, so you have, Abby, do you know what a rogue planet is? No. A rogue planet is a planet without a solar system. There's all these planets out there that are just flying through space not in any orbit at all, just like giant spaceships, just like shooting through 
the dark matter. Maybe things live on. Who knows? I mean, we're just our conception of a planet is you got a sun that you rotate around, but there's planets out there called rogue planets that are just flying through space, not attached to anything. I thought that was just a super That's cool insane. fact that I learned. I just think about them up there. Like what, what's on them? What are they doing? Where are they? You know, are they going to come <laughs> here? Um, and also another like uh, dose to space fact that I got was like, you know how like you see the, when you look at the sun, I'm not like when you look up at the sky, look at the sun, but like when you see video and an x-ray or whatever, the sun, and there's these like, it's all these like flares and explosions at the surface, right? These big like arches yeah. that pop up. Did you know, how long do you think it would take for it? Because those are explosions that start in the middle of the sun and then move their way through the sun and explode on the surface. Uh, how long do you take, think that takes, that little bubble inside to go up and explode at the surface? How long do you think that journey well, is? Well, hold on. Before I answer that, how big is the sun compared to the Earth again? Like I how have many absolutely times big? no okay, okay. idea. Okay, so I know it's really, really huge, like way bigger than the Earth. So I'm trying to think how... A, man like a thousand years or something is that too crazy a thousand years wow it's actually the time it takes for those every little explosion on the sun travels for one hundred thousand years through the sun before it reaches it oh shit wait oh, shit. Oh, shit. <laughs> that's how big the sun is it's huge. that is insane so every flare like what is it a flare like every flare i don't know traveled for a hundred thousand years to like explode on the surface of the sun. holy shit that's nuts that's completely nuts. I mean, Mike, you and I grew up on like the Matrix, you know, mm -hmm. I'm talking about the OG Matrix, baby. I'm not talking about the really bad <laughs> reboot. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was like the most meta, like bad meta uh, thing I've ever seen. But um, but Mike, I mean, we grew up on like this this cute nomenclature of like being red pilled, you know, go down the rabbit hole. But that shit kind of feels passe now, right? Because it kind of has manifested into this weird binary where it like only applies to like being red pilled on right wing politics <laughs> in a mm -hmm. weird way, which is kind of sad because when it first came out, obviously, like it applied to everything and, you know, it wasn't like a partisan thing. But now it just seems kind of like a boomery, um, <laughs> like like you're like you're red pilled on like conservative memes or Babylon B or something it's like wait a minute no 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 no. this is <laughs> this needs an upgrade this needs a big upgrade like a post 9-11 new term to describe our generation's like awakening and navigation through the shocking fascinating and mind-blowing and surreal landscape that we find ourselves in today um so i think there's been so many dosed moments for myself that are political but like you said mike this concept applies to every every and all aspects of life, like uh, science, medicine, art, you know, for example, here's a dosed moment for me that's about nature. I never looked at trees the same after I read the book, The Secret Life of Trees. So mm. I, I, I do want to explore this in a future episode. So I'll just give you a, a taste. I mean, it's an extremely complicated relationship on the forest floor where you have, you know, something like mother trees that care for their young like something that I never knew existed, like a family, you know, like an actual family unit of trees. Oh, shit! Oh, shit! <laughs> trees also cultivate different pheromones to ward off certain types of attacks. Uh, tree systems communicate with and nourish each other. You know, we thought mm. of them kind of like as individual entities before, and now we're realizing more and more over the years that it's actually like a, a huge 
ecosystem that feeds off of each other. Like for example, a tree stump can survive like for decades because the surrounding root system continues to feed its sustenance. And so it doesn't die if you just cut the tree off Damn. because the surrounding trees will help keep it alive. Like basically this book has permanently changed the way I view the woods and has made me have just even more of an immense respect for nature than I previously did. But Mike, you and I both have political dosed moments that brought us to each other and to this moment in time. So, and like I said, and like Mike said, we want to hear your dosed stories too. Anything that's changed the way you look at something, perhaps made some sort of profound shift in your life or just tripped you out. So think about what those were for you when you called in, when you call in. Mike, what is your like political dosed moment? Because you were a soldier in the Iraq war. How the hell did you get to this place? Well, I, I guess the Iraq war was my dosed moment, um, which actually it was for like an entire generation. I mean, I think that the um, the narrative or the, the story, I guess, or really the myth, you could call it, the mythology of America is that we have this noble foreign policy. It's about spreading democracy, freeing the oppressed, helping those in need, taking out bad guys and all of that. And that's kind of the, the myth that we're fed throughout our entire lives, not just in school, media, movies, everything. Like that's the narrative is that the United States is this great noble force for good in the world and our military is, is that's what it's about. Um, so I guess, I mean, the Iraq war just kind of dosed everyone on the reality of US foreign policy. And I think I was one of uh, thousands of people in the military, but hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people in the broader population. You know, in fact, there were a million people who demonstrated against the Iraq war in the U.S. alone um, that kind of completely changed their opinion of what it meant to be an American, uh, what it meant to be a citizen of this country and what our government was really doing in our name. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's obviously put me on a completely different life path. So like, as soon as I got out of the army, I became involved in anti-war work. And that's, of course, how we ran into each other, Abby. Um, but I think that, you know, as, as you mentioned, like, we're going to be talking about much more than politics in this show. But of course, our background is political content. And it has been a cool thing doing Empire Files, meeting so many people, whether it's through the film Gaza Fights for Freedom that we made or just uh, other Empire Files work, people saying, I never knew anything about U.S. foreign policy until I watched this or i never knew anything about palestine until i watched this and so we've been dosing people on that topic for a long time <laughs> and um and just like you know like i know that a book that i think is important and that has dosed a lot of people on u.s foreign policy if we're in that uh vein is um is this book killing hope by william blum which just goes over all the u.s military intervention since world war ii and just completely eviscerates you know the iraq war is just one in a line of dozens and dozens and dozens of u.s interventions that are just clearly overthrowing democracy, killing good people, propping up the worst people and all of that. And so it's it's exciting to take that background that we have in dosing people in, in the foreign policy realm and understanding empire and that the U.S. I mean, I guess that's why we called the show Empire Files is no one acknowledges that the United States is the world empire. It is the only country that has this massive, expansive military machine occupying over 100 countries and just kind of dominates everything. And it's exciting to think about taking that concept into the other things that we are interested in in life. But um, Abby, what is your, I mean, similar to me, I guess the Iraq war and I guess 9-11, that whole era was, was also changed your life as well. Absolutely. And RIP William Bloom, 
really uh, just an incredible guy who really uh, put a lot of work out there that people need to sort through to understand how this country really operates, that we're trying to do justice to with our series, Empire Files, Mike. You know, I, and I we're actually totally, right before, sadly, right before he passed away, he reached out to us and said that he was a fan, which was very cool. Yeah. I was totally radicalized by 9-11 um, and the Iraq war and the egregious war crimes my government was committing in my name in a post 9-11 world. At the time I was a freshman in college, I was completely confused why the media was uncritically selling the wars and pumping out like nonstop propaganda to the American public. And at the time I was like super partisan because I was like the Republican Party is completely evil. Like what the hell is going on? The Bush the Bush era was so intense. And I was just like, wait, 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 like, why is the Democratic Party complicit by covering for like this openly criminal, like syndicate of like mafia, <laughs> you know, like pathological liars, like, you know, Nancy Pelosi taking impeachment off the table for the crime of the century. And so my dosed moment was like this. I mean, coming to the shocking realization that my country was not the beacon of freedom, not some democracy but actually a massive criminal empire. And that imperialism is a bipartisan policy that's embraced by both parties. But Mike, I still like didn't understand how the media fit into it. So there was like several dose moments that built upon each other. Like first you realize the true nature of the government. Then you realize that, you know, the media, it's like institutionalized through every single industry. It's like, oh, okay, like, you know, like, oh, okay, the media is not reporting the truth. The media doesn't do these things it doesn't work to enlighten the american public and so you have to realize that like this religion of u.s empire underpins the institutions in this country like most significantly the media because of course the media is supposed to be like the you know the the institution that holds power to account and and is the sacred beacon of like our you know our constitution and stuff and so at the time being an anti-war activist was not not enough Working with organizations like Project Censored drove me to understand that media literacy and citizen journalism were basically the only way to generate and deliver an anti-war message. So like, you know, whatever you're passionate about or trying to bring attention to won't reach anyone without a medium to deliver it. So being dosed on the crimes of empire led me to start Media Roots, the citizen journalism project, like... 15, 20 years ago, I taught myself how to shoot, edit videos, began covering issues in my own community. When Occupy Wall Street popped off across the country, I was at ground zero for one of the worst police state crackdowns in Oakland, California. And some of my footage helped with lawsuits against the Oakland PD for unlawful use of force against peaceful protesters. And from there, I linked up with Russia Today and you know moved to Washington, D.C., which is another fully dosed moment being in the actual belly of the beast, surrounded by spooks, shills, and access journalists. But I guess that's for another episode, Mike. <laughs> so, Mike, do you have any other, like, dosed examples that are not... I mean, there's so many political dose moments that we right. try to kind of encapsulate in our series, Empire Files. Like, that's pretty much what Empire Files is. Like, every single episode is a dosed moment. <laughs> like, here's a really fucked up thing that your government's done like, around right. the world. Like, here's something you um, don't but... want to know, but we're going to tell you anyway. Yeah. <laughs> like clockwork orange like sit down and watch <laughs> like we're gonna <laughs> dose you okay so what is what's another like non-political like dosed example that that's kind of tripped you out 
Yeah, sure. And just so the audience knows, we are going to be taking some calls in a little bit. So yes. think about if you have one political or not political, totally cool. Or if you have suggestions for people you want us to talk to who have dosed you, people you think would be interesting mm -hmm. to have on the show. But I guess, um, you know, one that I do think about a lot that when I learned I thought was kind of was super trippy is, you know, like, I have always been super interested in like, uh, our how we came to be as a species, right? Like I majored in um, in anthropology in school and focused on like biological anthropology, which is about the evolution of humans and our predecessors. And um, I always kind of like, there was always this conception that like, okay, like I don't believe life was created by a God. Like there was something that happened. And, you know, maybe it's not that special because all you needed was you, you got some primordial soup, you got some lightning, you got this, you got all these pieces together. And then that's how life formed. There is a spark and then there is these unicellular organi organisms that formed and then all life, the tree of life all branches out from these unicellular organisms. And so I always kind of had this belief, you know, it was really decades that I was into this, that it was like, yeah, the creation of life on earth actually wasn't that special because for just this genesis to happen of life to form, things were just super conducive for it at the time. And it's just science. You put this and this together, and you have life. Um, and then, I, I, you know, actually, a, a, about a year ago, I was listening to um, a podcast by one of these authors named Paul Davies, who I used to read back uh, 20 years ago, who started my interest in this topic, who kind of presented it in that way. That like, yeah, it's just it's just science, but this and this together and, and you got life. And he was talking about how actually he has completely rethought that, that life is actually super hard to form and actually we still don't fully understand it but the thing that was my my dosed fact is is that yeah if you think of life as oh yeah the things were just conducive for it at the time there was all, all the, the tree of life that we know today every living biological thing it all there was only one genesis meaning that whatever the spark was that led to the first living thing on earth it only happened one time so the idea that like oh it was just there was a bunch of primordial soup and lightning hitting it and all these things that, that came together. It was just a time where life could sprout. It actually was so, so difficult and complex that whatever it was that started it, it only happened once. There was only one Genesis. There could have been two Genesis that happened on earth. And then we'd have two separate evolutionary trees where there's two different initial life forms that formed in a Genesis and that two trees that sprouted off it, but there wasn't, there was one Genesis. And even this isn't like some fringe, belief, but mainstream uh, science now accepts that it's possible that the genesis didn't even occur on Earth, that the genesis could have occurred somewhere else. And early in the life of our solar system, when life first formed, there was so much material being exchanged between planetary bodies and planets, everything was just smashing into each other. And so the genesis could have occurred somewhere else, and then just land, get smashed into Earth traveling on a, a rock or a piece of a planet or something like that. And so that kind of changed the way I had always thought about life as something that really wasn't that special because it was just conducive for it at the time. It wasn't. Something happened. It happened one time. And now every single thing we see and touch and smell and hear came from that one single moment. So what you're saying is you believe in intelligent design. <laughs> just joking. Um, no, I, mean, I believe in aliens creating yeah, life on alien Earth. Alien intelligent design. But maybe you believe in. I don't know. You know, design. I don't know. I mean, it's totally. So we're all stardust, man. <laughs> we're all stardust. I mean, it's really totally insane to think about that. 
I mean, speaking of like the evolutionary tree, I feel like another dosed moment props to my friend Peter Joseph, uh, the guy who did the Zeitgeist trilogy. But like that was another really crazy one is just kind of realizing that um, that pretty much all religions kind of stem from an evolutionary tree. Like if you look at Horus, you know, the, the Egyptian god, it's very similar um, mythology to Jesus, you know, born of a virgin, had 12 disciples, performed miracles. And then you realize that like all of this could be based on ancient sun worship. And, you know, it's just a super dose moment for me. Um, I think another one obviously is having a kid. <laughs> you you change <laughs> the way you think of everything. Um, full disclosure, Mike and I have a kid together. And yeah, I think that we share that dose moment, Mike. Um, well, you had, pretty, you had, yeah, I guess you yeah. were the one who was pregnant and gave birth. And so I was the one who more heavily grew the alien. I... I'm the one who grew the alien and birthed it. Like, that's what it felt like. I felt like I have never been more part of nature, you know, having, right. you know, growing this thing inside me, birthing it and then raising it. It's been very surreal, very dosed every day, <laughs> day in and day out, dosed all the time with uh with having a kid so yeah just to remind you guys we want to hear your dose stories to anything that changed the way you see something um but before we take calls i just want to explain why are we doing it on Colin? like what is this mm -hmm. app if you're listening for the first time if you're listening on spotify what is, what is this thing what is Colin? i'm asked to do a lot of things i'm already totally maxed out I don't know. I don't know why we're doing this, man. I'm no, just joking. We have so much that we're doing very exciting projects and I'm approached about a lot of collaborations, but this is different because of everything that we just talked about. I knew that it could be something different, fun, mind blowing in a different way. But here's the most important thing about why I'm doing it on Colin. Colin is different from a lot of these like, you know, new alt tech startups because it supports something that I care about. And I've been advocating for my entire career, which is basically becoming a citizen journalist and becoming a media creator yourself. And I'm always telling people, create their own media, you know, just do it. Like, go out there, be a citizen journalist, start reporting on your community and be part of the conversation. And so far, this is the most impressive kind of user-friendly app that I've seen that provides like a really easy way for anyone with a phone to create a podcast. You don't even know how to like record or edit the templates all set up for you to be part of the community. And it doesn't require any of the, you know, expensive equipment and resources. It's pretty user friendly. It's not daunting to just jump in. For and example, also, yeah. For example, you could do stuff like this. Oh shit, oh shit. <laughs> we gotta get more Without drops. Without having any dude. experience with a soundboard. We gotta get way more drops. Um, and, and like you were saying, Mike, I mean, we barely do live events, especially with the pandemic being kind of a permanent state. Like, I've never engaged with my audience, really. You know, I was doing this live show in studio. We never had a live audience. Empire Files, we do it, we know, we do it here. The only time we ever engaged with an audience for Empire Files was when we went on the Gaza Fights for Freedom tour. And it was so fucking awesome. It was so amazing to do all of these events across the country, across Canada, and just meet so many people with incredible stories and perspectives and insight. And like just connecting with all of those people was probably like one of the best things that we've ever done. You know, Media Roots Radio, on the other hand, yeah, we've done a couple live streams, but it's like more of like a, a chat. Like you sometimes get thrown like a question from like a super chat or something. And like, I don't, you know, like that's not enough for me. I want to 
talk to you guys. I want you guys to be a part of the conversation. And that's like a, a chat room. Like I, I want to actually hear from you. I want to hear who you guys are. And, you know, going back to like how we grew up, Mike, like I know everyone and their mom has like a podcast now, you know, but before the time of podcasting, radio was like such an influential thing. Calling into radio shows was such a big part of the culture. Right, right. C-SPAN, Pacifico yeah. Radio, Coast to Coast with George Norrie. I remember doing cross-country drives, tuning into George Norrie all night, like tripping out about UFOs and shit. <laughs> like, I remember calling into radio stations to request songs back in the day. I remember before it was completely homogenous, clear channel, like, dog shit. You know, I remember, like, it. it there was this really cool kind of, like, community aspect about being a part of that about community radio you know i remember even calling into like the tom hartman show and asking him a question about iraq or something and like that was really interesting too it wasn't just the aspect of you calling in it was like hearing calls from random people very interesting to see where Mm -hmm. people's heads were at so yeah i guess above all it's the perfect opportunity to not only speak to several exciting guests who are experts in their fields but also talk to people like you having the audience be a part of this. And that's what seems the most fun to me. Mike, should we open it up for calls? Yeah, so um, this is our first time using this, so sorry if I screw something up, but uh, I see a stack of some 10 callers. I'm gonna choose some people to bring in. Like I said, feel free to share what you'd like, although we're trying to stay on topic of something that dosed you. Uh, So anyways, let's try to get on. See Let's if I did this right. Robbie. Robbie, are you there? Hello? Make the next call. All right, I'm going to try to get this. Robbie, you're uh, muted. Check out your... Uh... Oh, wait. Make next caller. I invite... Oh. Yeah, sorry, guys. We're just... Hold on, hold on. Mute us. All right. Rob? Rob? Uh, Ready? Some <laughs> learning curve stuff happening. Okay, make next caller. All right. I see you there, Robbie. You got to unmute. Yep, just hey. press the mic then. Robbie. Hey. hey. It worked. You're I was slow to the punch, ever. guys. Hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah. This is my brother, co-host of Meteor Roots Radio, Robbie Martin. What's up, motherfucker? Nothing. Just listening to your guys' first episode. Um, thinking about how I got dust. Listening to, listen to Mike's intelligent design alien theory. Um, <laughs> Ooh, did it? Did it dust I was... <laughs> I, it did dose me a little bit, oh. um, but I mean, if you want me, if you want me to tell a story that uh, that involves um, us as kids, well, not not both of us, but just me as a kid, yeah. <laughs> I'll, get, I'll tell you my first it. dose story. I got dose so, when you made me eat a succulent ice plant. <laughs> oh shit! Okay, tell okay, <laughs> tell me tell me your dose story, Robbie, as a kid. Okay, so this is sort of a double dose story that. <laughs> it's a really burned into my brain memory. First, it involved both. It involved both of our parents being people who watch B horror movies when we were kids, they rented lots of bad and sometimes good horror movies. And I remember as a kid being like too scared to watch these movies, but also like mom probably wouldn't have never let me watch them. But I knew at a certain point that like dad was, would let me watch them. But I was too scared still to watch like be like even bad horror movies like Nightbreed or something like that. So he put on Return of the Living Dead um, when I was probably like eight years old. And if no one's ever seen this movie, <laughs> no one's ever seen Return of the Living Dead. The movie basically plays a magic trick on you in the first 15 minutes where 
the two characters in the movie are, are telling a story about this real zombie barrel they find that actually fell off of a truck in the movie. They refer to the movie Night of the Living Dead in this movie. They're like, you know that movie, that zombie movie, Night of the Living Dead? Well, that was actually something that really happened, and the army covered it up. And I remember as a kid just hearing this line in the movie, like, destroyed me. It was like, in that moment, I was like, this really happened. Like, I believed that I was inside of a world all of a sudden where Night of the Living Dead had actually happened in real life. So the movie, like, captured, like, that was my first dose. So then, so then by the end of this movie, so, like, I'm already, like, terrified. This is probably, like, the scariest horror movie I've ever seen. Like, Dad should probably not be letting me watch this. I don't even think Mom knew he was having me watch it. So by the end of it, I kind of felt a little bit like a badass child. Like, I had conquered this fear of watching really scary horror movies and sort of dad had let me do that. And I felt like I was kind of like felt proud of myself. This was before the actual very ending of the movie. This is a spoiler for anyone who hasn't seen it. So this is like a really good quality zombie film, Return of the Living Dead. But it ends with a very crazy like political Reagan era ending. And when I was a kid, I could not, this was like the part I was not ready for. So I had already sort of conquered the fear of, you know, zombies watching like gore in, on screen. I was, you know, I, I had done it. But the, but the end of the movie, spoilers, is the army basically decides to nuke the entire town that the zombie right. outbreak happened in. And everybody dies at the end. Right, of the movie. right. It's like one of the most bleak, crazy. And, and I was a kid. This is like right before the Berlin Wall fell. I think it was like 87 or 88. So like in my mind, the idea of like Russia was the enemy you know, the evil empire could nuke us was already in the background. So this movie just broke me. Like I was like, so I it wasn't that I was like having nightmares or unable to sleep from zombies for the next few weeks. It was like worried that we were going to get nuked. Like I remember sitting up in bed. <laughs> you got a taste of the sleep. cold war. <laughs> like Absolutely. It was the first, and I, as a kid, I had never like felt that before until I saw this movie and I could not get it out of my head, probably until the Berlin wall fell. Like, it, it maybe took me like a year to get over the, having these reoccurring fears. So oh my God, those were like the, those were the two dose, my first two doses of like, Oh, this is actually really scary. Like this world we live in is really like dangerous and, you know, just potentially like really unstable. <laughs> yeah. And what's funny, Robbie is it's like, it probably just always stayed with you because a part of you, even though you were that young, realized that this would happen. <laughs> like, yeah, like, like, like the government would just like, like very just like flippantly just nuke an entire city just that covers up something that they did. Of course, like it was already, you know, that's like 100% right. It was like, instead of seeing like, a, um, you know, if I had watched a different kind of movie as a kid that showed like a nuclear war happening or almost happening, like some kind of Cold War thriller, it wouldn't have had the same effect on me because this, the, the calmness, if you have seen this mm-hmm. movie, there's sort of a calmness. And a, and a detached coldness to the way all the military people enact this nuking. And that's part of like what makes it so chilling. It's like, oh my God, like this is actually probably what would really happen. Like this is like a more realistic, you yeah. know, it's a zombie movie. So yeah, no, that, that's amazing. And it's just crazy to think of what mom and dad, like, li- like it's just crazy. Everyone in our parents' generation, like lived through this nuclear Holocaust mentality that every day you just thought that we could possibly just, I mean, here we are today. I guess it all comes full circle yeah. because here we are where, <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. we might be practicing, you know, one of my kid 
gets into kindergarten, he might be practicing going under a table to prepare for the impending nuclear holocaust, depending on where this goes. So, I think it was an Onion headline I just saw. I, I, maybe an old Onion headline that said, Iran is concerned about the U.S. building. It's like 4,000 since 901 nuke or something like that. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, I don't know. I've got it. Yeah. I totally botched that. Sorry. No, no, that was, that was very funny. <laughs> it's hard to say 4,981. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Weapon. <laughs> well, Robbie, well, Robbie, just one thing. I, I, that's fair. I do remember that, uh, seeing that as a young person too. And it was trippy. And also it's, it's cool because it's, it carries on the tradition of Night of the Living Dead, the 1968 film in a way, because I don't know if you remember, but um, Dwayne Jones was the main character. It was the first uh, black actor to play a protagonist in a horror film or the hero in a horror film. Yeah, and yeah. if no one's seen it, I'm going to spoil it right now, but the he survives this crazy journey through all these zombies, right? And then at the very last scene is the police just show up and kill him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. No, they're just like, oh, wow. shit, kill that guy. You know, like, after everything's over, the police just show up and kill the Wait, main character. You know what's funny is that this must have been a time when Hollywood wasn't, like, editing scripts and providing military right. equipment. Because, right. like, both of those stories would not be approved by their 100% Hollywood handlers. Right. They, they actually <laughs> well, remade. You know, have you seen the remake of Night of Living Dead, Mike, where they actually changed the ending to make it less controversial? Oh, God, no. Not... Yeah. No, no, I think I think it's like actually movies get got sanitized more over time. Like they remade it for I think like Tom Savini remade it in like 1995, and it he actually changed the ending to make it so the main character like turns into a zombie at the end, and then they oh kill my him. god! Well, so, there you go. Oh, yeah. So they still kill him. There you go. But no, because he was coming right for us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. Robbie, thank you so much for, for calling in, sharing your dose moment about our childhood. Uh, check out Media Roots Radio. My brother has some cool stuff on there. Get dosed on his investigations. Robbie, you'll have to join us at a future time. Thanks so much for calling in. All right. Should All we right. take another caller? Yeah, Ryan, you're on mute, but get off, get off mute. All right. Can you guys hear me? Hey. Yeah. Hi. Hey, Ryan. what's up? Thanks for having me on. What is up? I've really enjoyed uh, hearing all these stories. I had no idea that Will Smith has done ayahuasca 14 times. So <laughs> that, was, that he's that disclosed. Was yeah, I got to get on his level so I have more, more uh, like dose stories, I guess. <laughs> but um, yeah. <laughs> so what is your, do you have a dosed moment, Ryan? For sure. Yeah. I feel like it's definitely been a series of doses over time as you guys mm -hmm. kind of both mentioned too but uh like growing up just in the heart of silicon valley i feel like i had a very sheltered childhood just surrounded by like all of these extremely wealthy people who really like convinced everyone around them i mean everyone was in on the on the whole jig but convinced everyone that they're like doing good things for the world um, so, so like breaking that down, uh, definitely like took a lot of time, but, uh, after college, I spent some time in Jerusalem and I was researching for, for the, uh, American friends service committee. I was researching the international weapons trade and just seeing like how tracking the money to see, you know, who was pouring, uh, just billions of dollars into killing kids around the world, you know? Um, 
And I remember sitting at my laptop in this small little office and tracking the money back to my tiny hometown of 30,000 people. Um, wow. And that's kind of when my entire worldview just like collapsed in on itself. Um, Whoa. Because I realized that like the reason that, you know, all of these people who I'd grown up with, I'd uh, go over for playdates to these houses where they had like movie theaters in the basement and swimming pools and tennis courts in the backyard. The only reason that they were able to have those things was because other people weren't and other people were in fact, being killed so that these people that I grew up around could live these lives of luxury, you know? Um, oh, shit! Oh, shit! Oh, shit! Exactly. Thanks. Thanks for that, Mike. Um, <laughs> it was it was totally one of those moments, though, where I, like, everything just froze for five minutes. And, you know, I, I like, needed even more time than that to, to process, like, what... I, like obviously it was way delayed too like I should have understood mm-hmm. this at a at a far younger age but just because of like the way that I grew up in the community that I grew up in it was like everyone was in on it everyone bought into this notion that these like white uh like Americans in the Bay Area were like had access to all of these insane things because they just worked hard and because they were like leading the world into the future, you know, that was, that was the, what I was told growing up, like all of these tech companies, um, all the, all the people in charge of them were just these like entrepreneurs who had great ideas and they were going to democratize the world just through the internet. Um, but then seeing, you know, like the, the underbelly of that all, it, it's really like I, I came to this horrifying conclusion that like nothing is the way that it seems. Um, that's it's such a it's such a great dose moment because it's like something that just yeah it's like once you get there and it took me a long time to really like fully understand that too and it's like you can't believe it I mean especially as someone you know I grew up in the Bay Area too not as close to like the Silicon Valley underbelly as you did Ryan but just the extreme stratification of some place like San Francisco yeah, that used to be this cultural hub, like just an incredible place, right. For diversity, for queer identity. And then, and then just became taken over by Silicon Valley and the have and have nots have become so stratified over the last, I, I guess, 20 years that it's like, it is probably like one of the most dystopian places like in the country. And, oh, yeah. it, and what's so bizarre about it is it's so liberal, right? It's yep. like, like Nancy Pelosi's revered. It's like you can't, but like you have to be a certain class mm-hmm. to live there in general. But everyone thinks that they're woke. Meanwhile, they're like stepping over dead bodies, yep. or like what look like dead bodies on the street. It's just like the most surreal place because it contradicts this kind of wokeness of like, I you know, like embracing like everything like i you know i acknowledging each other as humans and like our identities and our value as human beings but at the same time it's like how is this possible right right yeah you see like i mean just growing up learning about like the the history of san francisco you know like i always 
was really proud to be from San Francisco because I had learned about like the countercultural movements and, you know, the like queer history there. And, um, but that, but now like the way that I see it, I'm like ashamed in a sense, because it's just, it truly is like, you mentioned DC earlier and, and moving there was like moving to the belly of the belly of the beast. But I feel like San Francisco is the same way. Like it mm-hmm. genuinely feels like mm-hmm. it is like the city of today in the sense that like all of these apps that were just clicking on our screens every, every fucking day um, are based there, you know, like every single one of them. And, and you're just walking down the street and you're seeing like their logos and you don't even need to see the name of the company because the logo is so familiar to you like it's just such a surreal bizarre place to exist in because it doesn't feel real like nothing is real there it's just like a part of this like end stage capitalism dystopia yeah exactly and it's a bubble because it's like they want to like the whole sanitization of reality, this kind of liberal call for mass censorship and stuff like that. There's a similar type of thing playing on the Silicon Valley and a lot of other cities where the poor being poor is a crime. Right. Like sleeping in your car in um, Menlo Park or like I don't wherever yeah. those like counties are around the area. It's like that is against the law. Like you will get fined and arrested for like yes. doing you know, it's like, it's like, what in the hell is going on? <laughs> yeah. It's, and it's your car so impounded. Crazy. Yeah. 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 yeah and no, then it's... you're going to have to pay for that. And then like, where are you getting the money though? Like you don't have money. The whole point, <laughs> like you're sleeping in your car because you don't have money. So where the fuck do they expect you to get this money to pay some ridiculous fee for your car being towed? Ryan, suck it up. It's the Putin tax. We all have to feel it at the gas pump. It's all for the war effort. Um, so yeah, just suck it up, baby, and uh, don't worry about it. Your and patriotic duty. Yeah, I'm going to go buy a $7 gallon right now. So, <laughs> Ryan, thank you so much for calling in with your dose moment. It's such a, it's a good, it's a great story because it really reminds me of like when I realized that communism wasn't what I thought it was, you know? Yeah. And it's like, yeah. it takes a long time. It's like, even if you become politically awakened to how fucked up everything is it's like you still are so indoctrinated with this religion that underpins our society which is anti-communism and like anti you know the government providing anything because the government is the source of all of the problems and stuff and it really takes a while to unpack that it really does and there's several layers of being dosed to really really break free of that ryan you're the best um check out ryan wentz queer a la mode on twitter instagram he's doing incredible work and he's also doing some stuff for empire files we really appreciate you ryan uh thank you so much for calling in all right thanks both you guys peace out bye all right let's get the next call or we'll take a few more calls we're gonna go for a little maybe 15 yeah, more minutes like, or so so if you're on the yeah, queue take... we're gonna get to okay let's try to get Dan up in here. Dan, you're muted. You want to unmute and then say hello? Oh. Dan. Hello, Dan. Yes, hi. Can you hear me? I'm trying to unmute. Oh, can you hear me now? You are unmuted. We can hear you loud and clear. Yes. Yes, hi. Well, first of all, let me say congratulations to you both for what's going to happen in a couple of months from now. 
I guess you already know what I mean. Uh, I wasn't sure if I should mention it or not, but you already mentioned that you had a baby, like that's mm-hmm. about two years ago now. So congrats to you both. Thank you. Also, oh, I yeah, want to say... In two months. Oh, thank you yes. so much. I really you, appreciate Dan. that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I want to say good luck with your new endeavor. I was looking at the number of listeners and apparently there's about 300 now live listeners. So that's great. Yes. Right, so now go, going to the, the topic, like being dosed. So in my own experience, if I look at politics, the second I became dosed on politics, so to say, one was 12 years ago when the WikiLeaks came out, mm. 2010. Yep. Which one? Yeah. Or just WikiLeaks in general? In general, yeah, in general. When, when they started publishing things, of course, everyone knows the collateral murder video that was showed. And then I didn't look too much into it. But then a few years later, uh, I went on and I bought the book, the, the WikiLeaks files. And like reading through it, I couldn't, I just, I literally could not, I wasn't paying too much attention to foreign politics or stuff like that. But then reading through the WikiLeaks files book, I couldn't believe how many things were happening around the world and I I had no idea about them as in what the true story were what the true story was behind certain things like if you look at for example you mentioned uh, Russia and Crimea and Abby's stance when she was still on RT and her view that like you expressed on air. Uh, I don't know, like they say there's been a referendum in Crimea and they joined, they wanted like the population there being like majority, like uh, Mm -hmm. ethnic Russians. They voted to join the Russian Federation. So yeah, some people say, oh yeah, there was a referendum and it was people's choice. Some people say, yeah, okay, it was a referendum. There was a vote, but it was in a war setting. So you don't know exactly what the outcome, the, the, the exact accurate outcome of the referendum was. But then when I first heard people saying that, my mind instantly, without even like wanting to do that, my mind instantly went to... Evo Morales, for example, mm-hmm. he was he was reelected in 2019, I think. And then you had the organization of American states in, in Latin America. They said, oh, no, the, the elections were not. It was like a fraudulent election. And he was like kind of kicked out of the country. So he just went and uh, went for asylum in Mexico. And then two or three years later, it came out like, oh, no, the elections were actually legitimate. And Evo Morales was the elected president. So, so many things happening that you don't, like even now, you look in the media and you, you really don't know what to believe or when or if people are actually saying the truth or they are misleading viewers or readers on purpose or or it's it's very strange. It's, it's very strange. So I, Dan, like people Dan, like you, is... for example, yeah. I don't know how you can do it. I don't know how you can do it being in media and covering politics or foreign relations or stuff like that. I, I, for me, it's just exhausting trying to figure out what's going on. So I have a huge amount of respect for people that actually do this for a living. 
Thank you, Dan. I mean, I totally agree with you. It is becoming quite bizarre to navigate our current media landscape because it's pretty scorched earth. Uh, there is a yeah. full-blown information war just when you're looking at something like Ukraine where, I mean, you'll have this homogenous, uniform narrative being pumped out from the West. Of course, they want to completely purge all other global perspectives, including the actors that are involved in the war, which I find highly problematic. And that's a huge problem. Like, I want to see what the Russian narrative is because then I can understand why Putin's doing this, right? If I'm just told by the West that he's a, a Disney villain, you know, that he's our arch nemesis and he's just an evil sadist who wants to kill as many people as possible. Well, that's not really going to help me or instruct me into how we can have a diplomatic solution, how we can actually build diplomacy, push for actual negotiations here. And it just makes it, you know, a complicated geopolitical issue truncated into a false binary of good and evil. And it's very babyish and infantilizing and insulting to our intelligence. You mentioned WikiLeaks. This is, I mean, it's a primary example of how dangerous this kind of truth-telling is. WikiLeaks was a thorn in the side of the establishment. They're setting an example with Julian Assange. And how dare they pretend to care about press freedom while Julian Assange is sitting there languishing in prison. It's disgusting yeah. and it's criminal. And because of WikiLeaks... I, I, if WikiLeaks didn't exist, it would. It's really hard to even imagine what we would have known about in the last twenty years: the crimes and atrocities, the horrors. Because all we know, Dan, is that our government will deny, deny, deny until they have to accept that they were lying. And usually, that's because video evidence is shown, right? And and that's what WikiLeaks did. I mean, they denied the collateral murder stuff. They denied, they denied shelling that journalist, right? They denied all of it. And until the proof was there, WikiLeaks compiled all of that. And that's why they had to shut it down. That's why they had to throw Julian Assange under the bus. And that's why they can't allow an organization like that to exist again. Because they need to control every aspect of the narrative, Dan. And it is so confusing and so difficult to unpack what is happening because of this censorship campaign. Because of this backpaging of anything that doesn't suit what what U.S. politicians want to put in front of our faces. And it's really tough. And, you know, I appreciate your insight and we'll, we will keep doing the best that we can. But I think that during a time like this, when the fog of war is so strong, it's really hard to react. And we have to kind of let things play out before we can really, you know, understand the full capacity of what's going on and, and, and what the ramifications will be. And that, you know, that includes everything that's being pumped into our brains from these Silicon media giants that are, you know, telling us the day-to-day -day stuff that's going on there. So um, yeah, I just always encourage to, to just try to digest as much as you can from all angles before you react to something. It's getting very hard to do because we're in an outrage 24 hour news cycle. Um, but that's the only way we can do it because it's all about media literacy and critical thinking. And we, and that includes like taking stock and like taking time to analyze these things and understand them. Uh, but thank you so much, Dan, for your call. I really appreciate your dosed moment. Uh, let's take a, a two more, Mike. Yeah, Dan, thanks again. So happy you brought up WikiLeaks because, you know, right now Assange is facing extradition to the United States or the U.S. government is trying to lock him up 
<clears throat> for his work, which uh, is just an absolute outrage. And, you know, a lot of people, of, of all the things that WikiLeaks revealed, <clears throat> really giving an inside look into like how the government and our officials speak in a totally different way through their own communications and diplomatic cables and what they are telling the public. Um, but the the Iraq war logs really ended the Iraq war in a major way, uh, obviously through the, the heroism of Chelsea Manning, who risked everything to leak those files. But Obama, who's credited with ending the war, was actually trying to extend the status of forces agreement and had sent Robert Gates, the secretary of defense, to negotiate keeping U.S. troops as occupiers for much longer than he initially, initially planned. And the Iraq war logs created such a political crisis within Iraq, not just from the collateral murder video, but the extensive internal army documentation of the sheer number of civilians they killed, in particular at traffic checkpoints, just people just sitting in their cars who got shot up and killed. It made it completely untenable for the Iraqi government to extend the status of forces agreement. So uh, very important that you brought up WikiLeaks, especially in light of the ongoing case to, um, you know, extradite Julian Assange. So let's, uh, let's get Pedro on the line. Pedro, you're muted. Unmute, uh, say hello. Uh, hi, can you hear me? We can. Oh, hi. Hey, Pedro. Uh, hi. Uh, so I have a quick question and a quick comment. I'm going to try to make it quick. Uh, the question is uh, regarding your YouTube show that was censored, uh, that that was banned. Uh, do you do you, uh, can you tell us if if it was actually deleted from the servers, and uh, if so, if if there is any chance of uh, doing legal action, for example. And uh, the comment I had uh, generally is regarding the, the censorship in, in the country on, on Twitter, basically. Uh, Twitter banned uh, Oliver Stone. He did a documentary about Ukraine. It was banned. Uh, all, all other accounts that just provided uh, real-time information about the war from the Russian side were also banned. So it's kind of unfortunate, this climate of censorship. Uh, many American journalists were, were also banned, like Lee Camp is an activist based in D.C. Uh, so that's basic my comment. Uh, you ask for suggestions about the show. One possible suggestion that uh, is exciting is the French elections. Uh, since the show is about politics, I'm looking forward to the next shows about politics. Mélenchon is a kind of a socialist candidate. He has a shot. So, uh, yeah, that's, cool. what, that's what I want basic to say. Wanted Thank, to say. You Thanks. So Thank you so much, Pedro. I really appreciate it. Uh, to answer your first question, turns out my mom told me that she had saved every episode of Breaking the Set. Uh, Mom, if you're listening, I am going to get those episodes from you and try to put an archive together. So I am going to put an archive together at some point and perhaps mirror it on Odyssey or uh, BitChute or something like that or archive.org. So definitely stay tuned. I would sign up for our mailing list um, to the link in my call-in bio. Please sign up for the mailing list on that link because you will be notified once we do get a functioning archive up. Yes, to your point, Pedro, um, it wasn't just my show, of course. It was all of RT's archives. Uh, this included Lee Camp, a good friend of mine, comedian who had a show redacted tonight for eight years on RT, and Chris Hedges, a Pulitzer Prize-winning war correspondent who was the bureau chief for the New York Times in the Middle East 
he left the New York Times because he was criticizing the Iraq war and they fired him for it. And so, you know, he was pushed to the margins and then they delete those people on the margins. And that's what RT did. They uplifted voices from across the political spectrum. A lot of times were from these political margins that aren't allowed on, on any airwaves or really given space anywhere. And so that's why Chris Hedges went to RT. He had an incredible show on contact. Mike and I have been on it to talk about our documentary. And all of those episodes were completely memory hold purge from the Internet. They do exist um, somewhere. I think that someone said that there's a way to get a VPN. I'm, I'm very computer illiterate, so I'm not actually sure how to do this or or even where you can access these from. But like I know all across Europe, all across, I think, North America, you can't access them. But I'm not sure about like places like the Middle East or Africa. I'm not sure if they're still visible. As far as I know, like no one has been able to see them. So when you go to the old channel, you'll see a link that says this is not available in your country. So it doesn't, you know, it wasn't just deleted outright. It was just restricted and basically censored from our eyes um, everywhere that I know. So, yes, we will get that archive up soon. Thank you for the suggestion on the French election. Definitely we'll look into it. Thanks so much. Mike, should we take one more? Let's do it. Lance. Ladybug Lance with the Avi. That's why I picked you. Get off mute and say hello. Lance, Lance, what is it about ladybugs? What is it about ladybugs that dosed you? Lance, unmute yourself. The the little mic on the bottom of your call-in app. You should press that little button and you can speak once you lift that mute. You got 10 seconds before I boot you. Yeah, Lance, it was confusing for me too. There's a little microphone icon on the bottom of the screen that you just have to unclick. Oop. He's gone. He's got, got booted no. him, rebooted himself. All right, Andrew, you, okay. you got lucky. You're next. Can you Andrew, hello. Testing, Andrew, testing. you are on. Can you hear me? Hello? We can hear you loud and clear. Perfect. Um, so I just wanted to say uh, I actually found the URL of one of the uh, old Breaking the Set videos, and I looked up which countries it's available. Oh, there's, my God. And there's three uh, oh great! Uh, Co- Kosovo, Somaliland, <laughs> and uh, I actually forget the third one. But all of them are places that are not like recognized by uh, as separate by most countries. And so I think that that's just a glitch in that they don't appear as uh, places where YouTube didn't block them. So unfortunately, it looks like even a VPN isn't going to help you because there's no place in the world where a VPN would make it available. Oh, um, dang. Yeah. Oh, shit. Uh, but it... <laughs> Where's the oh, shit drop? <laughs> I had to stop. <sighs> but yeah, uh, in terms of a dosed moment for me, so I recently found out that there's this like open source, uh, crowdsourced um, place where you can track... Uh, various aircraft around the world uh, as long as they're in range of a receiver, which there's tens of thousands in various parts of the globe. And so I, <clears throat> there's a way to filter for aircraft that are known to be military, which in the U.S. is pretty much every military aircraft is known. Uh, other countries, it's trickier to figure out. But so I looked up and uh, at one point I saw that there's like 
350 different U.S. military aircraft flying above our country alone, and it's terrifying to what see the hell? Like how massive this operation is, and so much of it is like things that we don't even fathom. Like, and when when you say that like the military is the biggest polluter, I mean. Uh, there was a few months ago a B-52 Stratofortress flew over uh, the capital of my state at like 30,000 feet and uh, its six-hour trip that day took uh, burned more fuel than like 30 cars would in a year and it's like insane how how massive this whole thing is and somewhat disheartening to s- realize that like it's such a behemoth that we must stand up to but also motivating that like the um if if it does all come down uh the world will be such a better place andrew Thank you for your dose moment. That is very disturbing how many military aircraft are just flying around at any given moment, just conducting these, you know, kind of opaque like war games. I don't even know what the hell they're doing. God knows what's happening in the middle of the ocean. That's crazy, man. Um, I remember when we were in Alaska filming for Earth's Greatest Enemy and we tried to do an interview outside. You know, Alaska is seen as this pristine, untapped wilderness that's this beautiful, like, environmental, you know, safe haven. And it was just completely overrun by military jets. Like, we couldn't even be outside in Anchorage because of how many jets were flying all around at any given time. And then you kind of realize that the entire state is basically just like a military wasteland. Like, it's, you know, and a lot of this is like silent killers, like the the PFAS chemicals that they dump everywhere. I mean, to your point, like, it's really, it, it is overwhelming and it can be like debilitating to see how massive this structure really is. But it also is like very inspiring to think once we demilitarize our communities and our country, like we will be living in such a better place for everyone. And it's just such a beautiful goal to work toward because of how devastating. I mean, even just like the sonar being affected from wildlife um, and deep sea creatures and stuff like that that is like deadly to so many so many facets of the ecosystem is just like the constant you know engine noises and and ships bleeding out and like you know blowing up shit in the middle of the ocean like just it's just incredible right mike yeah no andrew so glad you brought up the the air traffic the b52s you know b52 b52s consume 3300 gallons of fuel per hour when they're flying and as you mentioned there are just a lot of them flying around and that's just the us not to mention everywhere in the world and that's those facts that dosed fact is what inspired the film that we're working on because when you really it's hard to quantify. And there's like, there's really just one book that tries to called The Green Zone by Barry Sanders, who is going to be in the film. But when you really start to quantify the environmental impact of just the military vehicles alone that the US has and are just constantly just buzzing around, just training and just doing kind of pointless things, it's 
it's such a massive, massive environmental impact. And so really appreciate you bringing that up. And that's trippy that you actually found it on your own. Like you looked it up and then could actually just see and filtered for military aircraft. And then it was like, oh shit, there's a lot of them flying around for no reason at all times. Yeah. And super kind of disturbing and depressing that RT is completely banned all over the world. It's like, Oh, okay. I guess the VPN won't get them. So, mom, if you were listening, I'm I'm putting everything on you, mom. <laughs> everything is on your shoulders of getting me these episodes. Now there really is no other option. Don't thank lose the so hard much, drive. Andrew, for- <laughs> yeah, thank you so much, Andrew. Yeah, don't yeah. let anyone who <laughs> don't let anyone in your house posing as like a repairman <laughs> like hide that in a vault <laughs> and duplicate it many times over. Andrew, thank you so much yeah. for your dose moment. Thank you for calling in. We we really appreciate it. I hope we yeah, hear from you in the future, man. Appreciate th- th- you. Th- thank you both for doing what you're doing. You know, I uh I'm younger than uh I I grew up in the post 9/11 era. I was 4 when the towers came down, and so I never really knew a world without this hyper securitized hyper militarized state and so i uh didn't really find out about you until like around the start of the pandemic and i've followed both your work ever since and i appreciate it immensely and look forward to your new film thank you so much andrew really appreciate it and hope you call in again on a future episode i'll do my best thank you all right uh we'll take one more call this is fun. We got a lot of people. Hey, Sally. Hey. How are you? Uh, we are the demilitarized country, uh, Argentina. Where are you? Argentina, by default. Oh, I nice. mean, not not was on purpose, but uh, the other day uh, there was an expert speaking about how many planes Russia has and how many Ukraine, and the journalist asked him how many do we have, and he says zero. So. Wow. When you're poor, you can be demilitarized. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a comfort. I don't know. We can comfort on that. Um, I was. I had a thousand those moments, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I might be under the influence of a lot of documentaries I saw yesterday, and um, it was also about what your brother was talking about. Uh, we have. A, we had a war in '82. We hadn't had a war in. 100 years before that, and it was against the British, nonetheless, so, so it was, uh, of course, we were going to lose, and it, the weird thing happened, it was during the military junta, and um, it, it was, of course, by the time it was, I don't know if you know, but everybody, but you know, but everybody was really repressed, and the misinformation was such that people went on the street and cheered for the war. And I did a, an assignment on on media information and propaganda uh, when I was, by that time I was nine, and when I was around 18. And I did uh, a study of all that came up in the media before um, the 83, before democracy, and just after that. And it was incredible. It was incredible. I mean, uh, veterans were mistreated because people thought they were cowards because they thought that we were winning the war in such a big scale that when they arrived after surrendering, people thought they were like, I don't know <laughs> what they thought. And they were stupid. And uh, during that time, I remember we were, we were talking with our friends all the time 
and we um, somehow we always got convinced that the Thatcher, as we called her, was going to drop a bomb in Buenos Aires, a nuclear bomb. And I remember feeling that emptiness in the stomach and like non-adults, none of the adults were there to understand like they were winning the war. <laughs> I mean, lots of them, even the ones that were really from the left. And it was really, uh, when I did that, that report about what the information and remembering how it, it went by then, it was really shocking. Yeah, I mean, sometimes reading something about like breaking down the media and coverage and really drives home that there is an agenda at play. You know, it's, it's hard to wrap your mind around like, why don't we know certain things? How is the narrative being cultivated by all these people who are supposedly well-intentioned journalists? And then you realize like, oh, this is like, this is the function, you know, this is the function of, of, of the media is to like deliberately feed into just a specific line. And I guess it's yeah. like that everywhere, you know? I mean, the no, no, stuff was is the, super disturbing, though. I was going to say because of I've, what happened in Ukraine. In Ukraine, in Ukraine, I was yeah. in Ukraine now, and what people are cheering for war. I mean, like with Molotov cocktails against the Russian, absurd. But um, I was uh, thinking about that. That uh, how now we know. I mean, there's a lot of testimony about what happened inside the newsrooms, about what went on, because, of course, the, the government really changed. And it's amazing. I mean, they described the way they were censored and how the information and the ones that were told not to say anything or how, how some of them will write something really good and when they saw it, it was something different when they saw it on print. And it's just really interesting, really interesting to, to see how many things were done. And there was an internet by that time. But, and it got me thinking that uh, a few years ago, uh, Pence, Trump vice president, mm -hmm. was around here uh, and even our discussing president by the time that was really some that was really a, a friend of Trump actually before he was president, and he even said no because he was uh, like trying to convince people or convince government to support an invasion to Venezuela. And, here there was so many Venezuelans and the ones that got here got here by plane. It wasn't the poor Venezuelans really. It was middle class at least. And they were so into why doesn't in the US invade? And was I I was like in shock, like trying to say and I was living with a, a US girl by that time and she was so into uh, we have to save these people, we have to bomb them and it <laughs> it's incredible how all of this, they couldn't see what, I mean, they, you know, history a little bit, you know that regime changed. Well, well it's amazing. And, and I, I'll tell you one really quick story. When Mike and I were about to go to Venezuela, we had a reporter who was supposed to be the videographer go with us and she tapped out right before we left and, and left us high and dry because she was just like, she just bought um, wholeheartedly into the media narrative that we were going to get killed. I mean, we might have gotten killed. Well, yeah, that actually uh, was a... <laughs> that, yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. That, yeah. We were tried killing our colleagues pretty frequently. Yes, by the, yes. 
by the Guarimba, you know, the people who were the Venezuelan opposition, which actually almost did did lynch us and try and firebombed uh, our colleagues and shot our colleague in the back. And actually, when we left the country, they put out like calls to lynch us as well. But um, to your point is that the media propaganda was so strong that it is almost impossible to even discern what is going on. Like we were there. So I, I, I saw it with my own eyes. I know the truth because we went there, mm-hmm. but like, I mean, it just, it's so, it's, it's so sad how strong the propaganda machine is and how one note it is. And because yeah. people just are led, people are led. And it's like, of course you care, right? You care when you see refugees and you care when you, are told something that's horrifying but you, and you want to I'm help I'm sorry, people. but Abby, you yeah. were there. We were there with search and analysis. But yeah. uh, maybe it was, that's what I was trying to also to explain, yeah. that people were here during Malvinas and it was the cruelest, the most bloody dictatorship we had. I mean, we, are def- we don't have militarized because the only solution we came up with was not giving a penny <laughs> to the military because we had good so we know about it and people was com- people were here and were convinced and people kept, came from Venezuela were convinced also I mean you can really really manipulate the people that are not that are normal people that are not right. really over information informated or they are not searching they're not spending 20 hours of the day looking for info and they are wrong too many times right and that and you realize it's very easy to manufacture outrage and that's really what it comes down to seal thank you so so much for your call i i mean hopefully i would love to learn more about how really how the push to demilitarize certain aspects of your society work because we are the opposite where every year we have our government in a bipartisan fashion giving 30 billion to 50 billion more dollars to the war machine no matter what state our country is in and it is a it's a pretty dystopian kind of slippery slope that we're on seal thank you for your dose moment thank oh, you for oh, talking one about question. that yeah, one question one question sure. I, Make- I have i wanted to say something uh, can i write you somewhere because of uh, you know bolivia school recently and i i wanted to to send you some info and yeah, I, no, I don't please. expect an answer. I don't know where. Eh? Yeah, yeah, please. Mike, do you want to throw out um, our dosed email for people to write in? Yeah, it's dosedshow at gmail. Okay, perfect. Thank you very dosed much. Dosedshow at gmail.com. Everyone can write in with some suggestions and comments, and, and we'll be sure to try to get back to you guys. Thank you so much for calling in. Thank you for your dosed moment. You guys, I know we have some other callers waiting. We're going to have to wrap it up. We've been going for almost two hours here. Um, but thank you so much for, for tuning in. Mike, I want to close it out by talking about um, kind of another dosed Hollywood story before <laughs> we wrap it up. Go ahead. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Oh, right. So um, I guess Robbie's uh, initial call talking about how the Return of the Living Dead tripped him out. Um, it reminded me of something we've talked about before, Abby, is a film that we both really love, uh, The Abyss, which is like such a cool movie. Um, when we both learned that there was a completely different ending to the abyss that like got basically censored by Hollywood and changed. And so uh, maybe you could talk about what, what was so terrible about that original ending of the abyss that had to come out of the movie. Oh my God. I mean, I have a fuzzy memory, but um, so it was basically, God, I feel like (laughs) 
it was uh, like a huge tidal wave that was going to wipe out planet Earth. And it was like this huge tsunami that was frozen in time, right? Like where the aliens were like, okay, because you guys have developed these horrific weapons that can destroy yourselves. This is like what we're doing, right? Yeah, it was like a threat. It was like the life forms. I don't know if they were aliens, but the life, the intelligent yeah. life in the ocean was like basically sending a message to humanity like you fucked up by building nukes and you need to like yeah. get rid of them or we're going to destroy you. And it was like just a warning like hey, get rid of your nuclear weapons. So it was a pretty like not controversial thing like nuclear weapons are an abomination. It's it's just absolutely unconscionable that they exist on the planet at all. Uh but somehow that ending of the movie which was like a pretty good and positive and extremely reasonable a message at the end of the film was like, oh no, we can't we can't have the abyss have something good politically to say. What was the ending turned into? I don't even remember. I think that like spaceship just like comes up to the surface and everyone's like, oh shit. It's yeah, it's just like totally oh, like, shit! Oh, totally shit! like apolitical. One last time, I'm deleting I'm deleting that drop from the soundboard uh, <laughs> after this episode. So we gotta ask Doug Pound for some better drops. Yeah, James Cameron. I don't know what the hell happened, dude. You had a really good movie, and then it. I mean, it's still a good movie, but yeah, I remember us watching it like on TV or something. We we're like, wait, I, I maybe I have a false memory about us even seeing like the. I can picture movie. it. Yeah, yeah. I know Mandela that's effect. Did I dream it? Yeah, total Mandela effect. Um. You guys are awesome. It was so cool hearing from some of you already. Um, I really hope you enjoyed the first episode of Dosed. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple Music, get the call-in app to join the live shows. And please call in next time. We're not going to have a set time yet. We may have a set time every week. But right now, we will let you know in advance, well in advance, when we're going to plan the next show. It will be weekly, but it won't be every week at uh, you know 1 p.m., Pacific, we're going to we're going to change it up and, and hopefully we'll stick to a, a set time soon. But yeah, check it out. Uh, we plan to do a lot in the future here, guys. Uh, a lot of cool, interesting topics, not just political. It's it, you can be dosed on anything. Right. And we all have been dosed on several different aspects of uh, philosophy, science, religion, politics, just life in general. And I can't wait to hear your stories. I can't wait to explore all of these topics with different experts in the field and just have really cool discussions along the way. Thank you so much. You guys um, tune in to get your daily dose of reality and truth here on dosed with Abby Martin and Mike Preisner. Thanks so much. You guys for tuning in to dosed. Mm-hmm.